chapter 5. As I mentioned early on, and for the benefit of those that haven't been with us, we have been going through a series in the book, and the original purpose um, for going through the uh, Ecclesiastes is um, it's really serves as a reality check for the modern world. Um, some of the things that Solomon uh, is doing here is asking us questions that are difficult to answer, and he's also um, challenging us to think, and he's laying down some truth that sometimes are hard to digest. And so we've been going through that, and we've taken a, sort of a, a thematic approach to the book, so I won't go verse by verse, but I've taken out themes. And um, today we're going to look at the, the problem of religion. And so here now, the word of the Lord taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Here now, the word of the Lord. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they, what they are doing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, or much, uh, yeah, much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. Father, I thank you that um, this is a sanctuary, a place that we can come and hear you speak to us. And Lord, you have spoken to us already through the singing of your word and through the prayers and through the fellowship of believers. And so now speak to us through your word. Lord, this is your word and these are your people. Unite the two now that they might walk out rejoicing that they have heard from you and that their souls might be comforted. We pray and ask this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. Solomon is dealing with the problem of religion. And this one in particular, this sermon, I know I've said this with a couple sermons now, but this sermon in particular, and this text in particular, is near and dear to my heart for this reason. I, yeah, I've been a Christian now for about 20-odd years, 20-something-odd years. And in my time as a Christian... 
I've seen, unfortunately, a lot of people fall away from the church. I've seen a lot of people apart from the church and have left the church. Just recently, in fact, I saw a, in an article uh, published in the UK Times, and it said England and Wales, for the first time, are no longer majority Christian. The vast majority of them do not identify with Christianity. And as I began to look at some of the reasons why people said that they were no longer Christian, if I could sum it all up, the vast majority of them were interpersonal reasons. In other words, because of interpersonal relationships. Someone in the church hurt them. Someone in the church um, they saw and looked at were hypocrites or maybe uh, people practiced their faith in, in an insincere way. Many of them left Christianity because they didn't find Christianity compelling. There was nothing in the worship services that led them to think about their faith or encourage them to faith. The word of God was, was rarely taught and proclaimed. Many of them felt like the church was just a place where people went to hang out and build community. But there was nothing in the worship service, nothing that they did that they find to draw them to Christianity and keep them in church. And it was heartbreaking because many of them said that they grew up in the church. Many of them are like our children. They went to church every Sunday. They heard sermons. They were around the community. But when they were old enough, they made a decision to leave the community because they didn't find Christianity compelling. And after reading a lot of these articles and processing it, it dawned on me that what they were rejecting was not true Christianity, but a false Christianity. A Christianity devoid of Christ and the power of the gospel. A Christianity that, that where people saw actual repentance, actual uh, forgiveness, where people saw actually... Their, people living out their faith. And so instead of rejecting something that was real, they rejected something that was false, and they called it Christianity. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in the text that we have here today, Solomon is warning us about false religion, insincere Christianity. Solomon is warning us about a Christianity that lacks the transformative power of God. And if you could imagine this, Solomon goes into the temple, by the way, a temple that he built, and he observes the people. And it's interesting to me that the bulk of what he observes are people not worshiping the way that God called them to worship. Now, I don't know the reason for that. I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if it's because he walked into the temple and it was just false. Uh, people not worshiping rightly was just so pervasive that he had to comment on it. Or he's saying that, hey, the religion that I see people uh, worshiping or, or holding to, um, that that was somehow insincere and then that was destructive to the community. I don't know why Solomon is commenting on just all the wrong things or all the, the things that people ought not to be doing in the worship service, but that's the bulk of what he's talking about here. And let me pause here and say this. Solomon, in a way, is critiquing the modern church. Hey, look, let me ask you a question, because this is the question that Solomon is asking us. What is true Christianity? 
When you come to church, what are you asking the Lord for? When you come into the house of the Lord, what are you expecting from God? Or do you expect anything from God? When you you say, I'm a Christian, what does that mean? Does that carry any weight? Do you see the transformative power of God at CVPC? When you go to a church, how do you know the Spirit of God is present? Or do you just focus on, is the music nice? Or did I hear a good sermon? Or they have really good programs. What Solomon is doing this morning is is really probing us and goading us and saying, look, what is the purpose of church? Why are we here? Can I point out, we could be anywhere. We don't have to be in this building. We could be anywhere, doing anything. So the question is, why are you here? And before you came, what did you ask the Lord to do for you in this worship service? Do you expect God to meet us here today? These are real questions that Solomon is goading us to and pointing us to. Because the fact of the matter is, there is so much false religion in our society today. So much emptiness that people see in church today. No wonder our young people are just leaving the church. I would leave the church too if I hadn't experienced the transformative power of Christ in my heart and through the community that I have. Look, this is a serious problem. I looked at some statistics recently. It says American membership among all religious houses of worship fell by 50%. Not just that, but it said among all demographic, almost 20% fewer people attend church in 2020 than they did in 2000. Over one-third fewer Americans attend church now than in 1993. That statistic is... is primarily our young people. They're walking away from the church. And the question is, why are they doing it? I could tell you why they're doing it. Because when they come into the house of the Lord, they don't sense anything authentic and real. They don't sense the Spirit of God moving. They see people who are inauthentic in their faith, and that's a huge turnoff. And you know what? It should be a huge turnoff to all of us. So what Solomon is dealing with here now is he's confronting us with the reality. What is true religion? And you know what? Are we doing it? Look, I invite this scrutiny. You know why? Because I don't want to be a pastor of a church where the Spirit of God is not moving. And you know what? You shouldn't want to be a member of a church where the Spirit of God is not moving. And you shouldn't want to come to a place where you don't sense God moving and doing something. Because anything else would just be religion. And you know what happens when we just do religion? People die and go to hell. And you know what happens when we just do religion? People walk away from the church. And you might say, Pastor Dennis, why, why are you so animated about this? Man, I'm animated about this because I know true religion exists. And I know God is real. And if that's the case, that's, it's up to each and every one of us to make sure that we are accurately representing Christ in our church, 
and in the work of the ministry. Now let's pause and let's look at what Solomon is saying here. Because what Solomon is saying here is powerful. And, and you know what? We need to let him use that scalpel on us. You know, there's sometimes when um, just yesterday my wife was trying to do a medical procedure on my son. I'm not going to tell you what the medical procedure was. Let's just say he was a little stuffed up. And as she was trying to apply this medical procedure on him, he was fighting him. She, yeah, he was fighting her. And finally I said, ah, just stop. He's not going to let you do it. Hey, when, you, when we hear Solomon today, let him apply the medical procedure to your heart. He, he has a scalpel in his hands, and he's about to dissect us to see, are we true believers? Do we really believe the faith that we have, and are we living it? Let him apply that scalpel, because once he does that, you will see the actual beauty in Christianity that I think he's pointing us to. All right, everybody ready? It's going to be a little painful up front. But if we allow him to do the work, you'll see the blessing on the back end. So first of all, let's look at the false religion that Solomon saw in the life of the church. Notice in verse number one, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so the first thing Solomon says is that, look, there are people, so in the ancient Near East, for instance, there was a sacrificial system. And the problem with the sacrificial system is the same problem that we have today. We tend to forget the purpose of worship. And in the sacrificial system, they tended to focus more on the actual system and the appearance of the system rather than why they came to the temple to begin with. And so Solomon says that when they came to the temple, instead of drawing near to listen to what God had to say, instead they were offering sacrifices of fools. In other words, Solomon said that when they came to the temple, they weren't focusing on the real reason why they were there. Instead, they were focusing on all the things that were happening around them. Let me explain it like this. I have a friend. He's a Bahamian. Who, for a season in his life, only bought BMWs. And the reason why he only bought BMWs is because he loved how BMWs looked. Now, one more thing you need to know about my friend. He couldn't afford a BMW that worked. In fact, every BMW he bought broke down. He would, he would drive the BMW. It would work for two weeks. Then it would break down for one month. And he would call me and said, hey, can you give me a ride? And I said, hey, why don't you buy a car that works? And eventually he did. Now, what was my friend's problem? My friend's problem was that he loved the form of the BMW, but he forgot the purpose of a car. See, the purpose of the car is to drive you from point A to point B, not to look good. And hear me today, the purpose of worship isn't to look good or to follow rules. The purpose of worship isn't that we get the liturgy right. The purpose of worship isn't that we play the music to your liking. The purpose of worship isn't that you have all of your preferences ticked off. 
No, the purpose of worship is that you encounter the living God of heaven. That's why we're here. Who cares if the music isn't exactly the way you want? You're not here for the music. You're here to worship the God of heaven. That's the purpose of worship. And if you miss that singular purpose, then you miss the function of why we're here. It's interesting to me when Jacob encountered God, listen to what he said. He said that he was afraid. And then he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that this is the place I encountered God. Hey, when was the last time you went to a worship service and you walked out and you said what David said? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is an emotionalism that uh, Jacob is expressing. This is a heart who has encountered God. And let me tell you something. When you've encountered the God of heaven, you can't help but worship. Look through the Bible. Everyone that encountered the God of heaven worshiped Isaiah when he was in the temple. What did he do when he encountered the God high, when he encountered God high and lifted up? He worshiped. That's the purpose of worship. And again, Christianity isn't about mere form. That's why when Jesus met the woman at the well, he told her, you, not, you do not know what you worship. Why? Because she was talking about mountains and wells. And he said, Christianity isn't about mountains and wells. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the irony of that is she's talking about worship and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is right in front of her. But it's not just that. What about when he met Nicodemus? Nicodemus was talking about Judaism and the law and the same thing is true. The Messiah was right in front of him and he was focusing so much on religion. Hey, listen, when we come inside this place, Let's be people about the worship of the living God. Let's not walk out and forget that we have come face to face with Christ. And that's a glorious reality, a reality that all of us should lay hold to. Let me ask you another question. I think Solomon is probing us here to ask this question. Would you recognize true Christianity if you saw it? You know, it's interesting to me, when the Asbury revival happened, there were three responses. There are some people who said, this is from God. Some people who were skeptical and said, this is not from God. And then some people who said that um, they weren't sure if it's from God. They were agnostic. And as I looked at the responses, it reminded me that we were in a culture plagued by religious performance and preference to where people can't even discern if God is truly on the move. Hey, if you walked into a church service, do you know if God's on the move? How can you tell? Is that even a question we ask ourselves anymore? Well, that's what Solomon is saying here. Like, we can't come into church and offer the sacrifice of fools. We can't claim ignorance here. When we come in God's house, we have to know whether or not God is present and to worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's the first one. He deals with the sacrifice of fools. But notice also, he touches on two separate things, prayer and vows. Look at verse number two. He says, be not rash with your mouth and let your heart be hasty to utter, uh, utter a word before God. 
for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. What is he describing here? Solomon is describing religious performance. The reality that when people went into the temple, they brought their sacrifices, and while they were standing up, they would begin praying, and they would begin with these long, drawn-out prayers. And when Solomon listened to the content of these prayers, he said, wait a minute, this is all performance art. They're, They're saying all of these things, but I don't discern that they actually believe them. And if you study this this passage, verse 2 down to verse 3, you'll see Solomon saying their prayers are like dreams, right? Dreams are things that appear real, but they're not. And Solomon is saying that as as these people are praying, they're they're not praying things that are real or true, but they're really praying to impress the people around them and gain favor with God. And let me say this, one of the things about religion that has happened in our society today is religion has become performance art, where we do things to be seen. And it's the tendency of the human heart to gain favor through our actions. That's what Solomon is is pointing us to here, the tendency of the human heart to gain favor through actions. Uh, a great example of this happened to me yesterday. I, I took my son to um, the Ace Hardware, and, and I, I took him in, and I had him helping me with some things, and he did a great job, by the way, a fantastic job. And when we went back to the car, he looked at me, and he said, Dad, did I do good? And I, and I said, yes, because I knew what the second question was going to be. Can I have a treat? You all know what I'm talking about. What, was I good, Dad? Yes, son. Can I have a treat? Yes. But then I looked at him and I said, Son, I'm not giving you a treat because you did good. I'm giving you a treat because you're my son and I love you. Now hear me today. There's an aspect of our religion When you and I are still like little children performing for God and asking the question, God, can I have a treat? Can I have a treat? God, I've done done these things. I've I've, I've gone to church. I've I've been in Sunday school. I've I've prayed. I've, I've tried my best. And so now, can I have a treat? And and Solomon says, if you live your Christian life like that, there are two things that are happening. First of all, notice verse 2 and 3, it leads to hypocrisy. Solomon says that, why are you trying to gain favor with the people around you by, by saying all the right things and doing all the right things? God's in heaven. God can see the contents of your heart. He knows if you're sincere or not. And by the way, God's eyes are the only eyes that truly matter. So don't perform for anyone. Don't don't try to come to church and say all the right things and do all the right things to impress the people around you because our eyes do not matter. The only eyes that matter, according to the text, is the one who's in heaven. 
You might fool all the people on earth, your friends, your family, the people in your church. But Solomon says, you're not fooling God because God has a vantage point where he's looking at you and he sees the nature of your heart. And he's saying, look, just be you. Just be you. You don't have to work or earn anything before the Lord. You don't have to say your prayers just right or live your Christian life just right. Solomon is saying, just be who you are. And you know, one of the worst things we can do as Christians, here's one of the worst things we can do as Christians, is to live outwardly the successful Christian life while inwardly we're in turmoil. It's one of the worst things in Christianity. You know, something I started telling myself recently, better to be a mess outwardly and put together privately than to be a mess um, inwardly and put together privately and put together outwardly, right? Because then I'm not being a hypocrite. That's the problem with the Pharisees and why Jesus hammered them over and over again for their prayers. Because he's saying, you're, you're, you're outwardly, you're saying all these things, but I know the content of your heart. Clean out not just the outside, but the inside as well. We don't have to come to church and pretend and say all the right things. Why? Because God knows the content of your hearts. And better to have a church where people openly talk about their sin than to have a church where people don't talk about their sin and then they live in wickedness. That's the point that Solomon's saying here. And then he moves on. Another way in which our words cause problems, another way this pretending caused problems, is in, the, in vows. He says it in verse number four. Four through seven, he talks about vows. A vow is a promise, right, that people make. And he says in verse number four, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. So in other words, people would make vows and then they would not uh, follow through on the vow because they don't want to perform the vow. In other words, the only reason why they talked about the vow or committed to the vow is they wanted to gain favor. But they have no, no, uh, in no way, shape, or form do they ever think or want to actually do the vow that they're given. And Solomon says this is a lack of integrity. And let me pause here and say this. Uh, there's, a, there's a website called Ministry Matters. And what's interesting to me is I've, I started getting updates from Ministry Matters, and one of the things that they send all the time is pastors who fall. Pastors who have fallen. Pastors who have committed sin. And it became so much. Almost every week there was like one or two pastors. And that's just the pastors they reported. And I started asking myself the question, why are all these pastors falling? The reason is found in verse 4 down through verse number 7. A lack of integrity. They're one way in public, but another way in private. They make vows openly, but they have no intention of keeping the vows. And one of the things that's most destructive in Christian communities is people who lack integrity. CVPC, if anything, we need to be people of integrity. We need to be vow keepers. We need to be people who, if we say one thing, we mean it, and then we perform it. And another thing, too, we don't have two lives. 
You know, the whole concept of integrity is uh, the word integer. It's a math term meaning what? A whole number. And so what Solomon is saying here is, look, have a whole life. Don't have a fraction of a life. Don't, don't be a quarter, you know, this, and half of this, and one-eighths this, and one-eighths this, and a quarter this. I think that's more than a whole. You know, I, some of you math majors are going to hold me to that, right? But Solomon is saying that, look, if you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to come in the house of the Lord, have one life. Hey, look, tomorrow is Monday. Imagine if somebody said, hey, we're going to follow you around with a camera. We're going to look at everything you do. Would your Monday look different? See, if you could say, there's nothing I'm ashamed of, so therefore come, follow me around, then you're living a whole life, a life of integrity. But if you say, yeah, you can come, but don't follow me at home. Yeah, you can come, but, but please don't follow me between two and four. Then you know you're not living a life of integrity. And one of the things that's killing the church now is that Christians are not living a life of integrity. It should be our mission. should be the thing that God is calling us to. And so he touches on false praying and false vows. Now let that sink deep in us for a moment. Because Solomon is saying here that one of the things that he observed when he went into the congregation of the Lord is people not worshiping the way that they ought. Now before I leave you, I have some good news. Because Solomon just doesn't point out, hey, here are all the things you're doing wrong. Solomon actually shows us the posture of our heart. And what should we be praying and asking the Lord of? Now, now it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Some are just words. Some are just statements. But he gives us a roadmap. And here's what he said. First of all, notice Solomon says, guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. What is he saying there? He's saying, have a watchful heart. Hey, look, have a watchful heart. Constantly go before the Lord and ask the Lord to help you to walk Worthy of the calling that you have. So have a watchful heart. Notice again in verse number, uh, a part of having a watchful heart or guarding your steps. He says um, to draw near to God to listen. In other words, have a posture of humility in our hearts. Then he goes down uh, and he mentions to listen. So it's to draw near, which is the posture of humility, but also to listen, which is to have obedient hearts within the life of the church. And then drop down to verse number seven. He calls us to fear God. At the very end, he says, but God is the one you must be fear, who must fear. In other words, have a reverent heart. Come before the Lord with reverence. Now, before I leave you, I want to say this. Many people, when they read this text, would walk away thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute. Solomon gives me a command here. He says, guard your heart and fear the Lord. And so those of us that are biblically savvy know that every time a command is giving, given, we have to obey it. But we also are biblically savvy enough to know that we can never obey the commands of Scripture as given. You see that tension? 
See, this is the tension that the gospel gives. Gospel calls us to obedience, but the other reality is we cannot obey. Pastor Dennis, how is that fair? Why does God say you must do this, but then at the same time God says you can't do that? Now you're beginning to understand the gospel, if that's you. Because what the gospel forces to is an understanding that we need a mediator. That's what the gospel ultimately forces us to. We need a mediator. We cannot do the commands that God has called us to. And so we need someone to mediate for us. I have a friend who's a lawyer. And he said that his, what he does for a living is that he mediates. Right? And he said that uh, the interesting thing is that people pay his firm hundreds of thousands of dollars because they can't say they're sorry. Right? They can, that's the only reason why. If they, if they could actually work out their problems themselves, they wouldn't need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. But because they can't do it, they need a mediator. Same thing Scripture tells us. We are incapable of doing what God has called us to do. So what do we need? We need a mediator. Now listen to what Scripture says about Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. Hebrews 7, 25. Christ is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near, here's that word again, draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christian, did you hear that? You have a mediator. In fact, you have two mediators. One inside you, the Holy Spirit, and one in heaven, Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us that these mediators mediate on your behalf. And if the task of living as an authentic church seems daunting and difficult, it need not be because everything we need to do it, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit gives us to do. We're called, yes, to guard our hearts. We're called, yes, to join there. We're called, yes, to listen. We call, yes, uh, we're called, yes, to fear God. How do we do that? By relying and trusting almost exclusively on the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? The world is looking at us. And to be quite frank, they're going to see a level of hypocrisy. Right? And, and to be honest, they're going to see a, a lack of integrity. They're going to see that. Why? We're sinners. But notice, Solomon is not condemning worship that's inaccurate. He's condemning worship that's insincere. And one of the things that the Spirit of God does and works in our hearts and minds is bring us to a place when we sincerely come before the Lord and desire to do what God calls us to do within the context of our community. Now, let me end with this. I know I said that three times, but I'm going to say it one more time. What does that have to do with each and every person in this room? I go back to what I said earlier before. How we doing? How we're doing? Would you say that we are an authentic Christian community? Would you say that the Spirit of the Lord is moving in and among us? When you think about what God is doing here at CVPC, do you find it compelling? Hey, look, I asked this question, right, not to browbeat us. Look, this isn't about that. 
I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. Our own sin does enough of that, right? I'm not here to tell you all, hey, we're doing a bad job and we need to shape up. That's not the purpose of this sermon. And you know what? That's not the point that Solomon is making. The point Solomon is making is that, look, God needs the church to be the church. The point that Solomon is making is that God needs us to accurately represent Christ. So when people come in here or we go out there, people see, people see Christians that are broken over their sin, that are repentant, and that are trusting fully on Christ. And what Solomon is doing here is putting that in our face and causing us to grapple with that. How are we doing? How are we doing? Look, I want CVPC to be the kind of community that when people come in, they don't see a bunch of perfect people. Or let me say they don't see a bunch of perfect people, but instead they see imperfect people who are being made perfect by the Lord Jesus Christ. They see a community open about their sin, but not wallowing in it. They see a community that's truly broken over the reality of the lost and are striving to be the kind of community that cares about the lost. I want us to be the kind of community where our children come face to face with authentic Christianity. And that's all of our responsibilities, not just me. That's all of our responsibilities. That's That's what Solomon is calling us to. And praise God that we have a Savior that enables us to do it. Look, and let me say this. Okay, last thing. One of the greatest joys I have every Sunday is my children want to be here. They do. In fact, when we travel, they always say, Daddy, are we going to come back before we go, uh, before Sunday? And I have to tell them, all right, fine, we'll come back before Sunday. But they actually want to be here. That's a sign that that the Spirit of the Lord is moving because they actually want to be here. And I hope your children are the same way too. And you know what? I hope you are that way too. And look, I've I've, I've impressed upon your time more than I, I know I should. But hey, listen, I hope you hear my heart in this. Man, I don't want to be the pastor of a church where Christ isn't lifted up. And I need you all to hold me account. If you feel like this place, if you ever feel like CVPC is a place where authentic Christianity, true Christianity, is not put before people, it's your responsibility to come to your elders and say, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? Too much is at stake. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, I, I just, Father, you know my heart. Um... Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for for allowing this text to be in in our Bible. A text that forces us to grapple with the reality of our faith. That calls us to genuine Christian living. And Lord, my, my sincere heart is that CVPC be a place where the gospel is seen and lived a place where our children come face to face with true Christianity, a place where if anyone that's visiting comes face to face with you, 
Lord, this isn't about me. This isn't about even us. This, this is about you and making sure this space belongs to you. And we put up no barriers for people to see Christ. Lord, thank you that your word convicts us, but your word also provides answers and hope. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen.